Hi everyone, it's Tom here. So last week we brought you a new kind of episode from Outrage and Optimism. It was called Setting the Table for a Food Revolution, in which we dug into all of the issues behind the food supply chain, the impacts that it's creating, and the opportunities for transformation. And we timed that event to come out just a few days ago because we wanted it to align with the UN Food Systems Summit. This is the first event of its kind, and it was taking place this week during the UN General Assembly, where governments and all kinds of other stakeholders, including civil society and business, were coming together to try to find solutions to these systemic issues around the food supply chain and how we can make it more sustainable. So, in that episode, we pointed out that the person right at the heart of this was called Dr. Agnes Kalabata, the UN Secretary General's Special Envoy to the 2021 Food System Summit. And what we did was we gave you that episode and then we waited until the Food System Summit was over and then we talked to Agnes Kalabata. We talked to her today, just a few hours ago, and actually it's slightly incorrect to say it was over. It's still going on. She still has a few more hours to go. And she is the most remarkable leader. She's done an incredible job to bring this very complicated issue right to the top table in the UN. Um, As I said, she's the special envoy for the Food Systems Summit, um, but previously she was Rwanda's Minister of Agriculture and Animal Resources from 28 to 2014, where she drove all kinds of programs that moved her country to food security and helped lift more than a million Rwandans out of poverty. She has really done this. She's really understood what is necessary to address the issue of hunger, to face the issue of climate change and bring the two together for the prosperity of people and for the betterment of nature. I found this conversation to be incredible. She is such a remarkable person. You can really see why she's been so effective in that role. She's so passionate and heartfelt. I really think you'll enjoy it. Here's the conversation. We'll be back next week. Here it is. Agnes, thank you so, so much for taking the time to join us on Outrage and Optimism. Um, I was delighted when I saw you on screen. I thought, yay, she's alive after all, (laughs) everything that you have done uh, for the Food Systems Summit. And and then you share with us that actually you're not even finished, that you still have to make room today for uh, a few more heads of state, which, as I said, that's a good problem to have, that there are more heads of state who want to come and, um, and participate in this. So first of all, congratulations for something that is quite amazing, Agnes. And we'll get into the content of what was discussed in a minute. But first, I just want, uh, I, I just want to do a huge call out to you and your team because not only have you done this summit completely virtually, which is very difficult to do, but also you have very much innovated into the concept of a summit. Traditionally at the UN, a summit is when heads of state and only heads of state come together uh, to discuss a particular topic. But you're actually breaking through that, uh, through that definition and saying actually food is so important to every single human being that this is not going to be just about heads of state. This is going to be about people people around the world who also need to have their voices heard. So if I understand correctly, you organized a two-year process that engaged 100,000 people from 147 countries through 900 independent dialogues, all on food system transformation. That has never been done 
within the scope of a uh, of a summit on any topic. Why did you decide for that format, which is frankly much more difficult to orchestrate? Why did you think that that was important? So thank you, Christiana. Thank you for having me. This is really an amazing uh, opportunity to be talking to you and your team. So I'm really glad that I'm able to do this, even as we are still uh, listening to member states' statements. But listen, when the Secretary General reached out and, and asked me to do this, uh, and the, he made clear there were two things that were at stake. He said, one, we are behind on SDGs, on all SDGs. And he said, listen, um, we think there's an opportunity here to use food systems to come through on SDGs, something that people really never think about a lot. And then he said, I need to hear from people. Then it occurred to me that, you know, if there's anything he needed to hear from member states, he has already had it, right? Hmm. He, he has. <laughs> Many <he's>, times. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So he has already had it and he sits with them every day, meets them every day. So I was like, and then there's so much innovation in our system. There's so much, there's so much knowledge, so much science, so much innovation, so much um, culture, you know, so much knowledge in terms of indigenous knowledge and community knowledge. I grew up in one of those communities where every time I walk into 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 a farming perspective, because I'm now in the agricultural sector. Sometimes I just feel sad at how much of what I grew up seeing has been lost. So it was very clear to me that I needed to do one thing. I needed to reach out to everybody and give everybody an opportunity to tell us what it is that they know about food systems, what it is that they want to see about food systems that we can take back to the Secretary General. So that was number one, just knowing that there's so much out there that is not coming through. Mm. Number two, it's also recognizing that there's so much at stake and it involves each and every one of us. So it was, it's, it's not enough to talk to member states and, and they go and have good documents and put them on the shelf. No, it's really important that we talk to each of us and help everybody understand what is at stake. I live on a continent where climate change is just taking away everything that we've ever worked for. And that's the only reason I joined the summit. I was like, if I can help people understand that we all have something to do with this and that individually we can help correct this problem, then I would do it. So it's also knowing that empowering people to feel like they're part of the solution is mm. extremely important. Because again, yes. think about it. When you wake up and feel like you need to switch off that light because you feel it's a responsibility to, to switch off that light more than than anything else. I want people to feel like that towards our, our environment. Don't drop something that shouldn't be. Don't do something that shouldn't be because you're hurting the future of our children. So that's why we really went out there and did such a massive campaign. And, and, and of course, the other is we just mobilized so much solutions. So yeah, that was, that was really what was behind this. So Agnes, huge congratulations to where you've got to in this and, and this amazing participatory process that's so necessary that you ran. Do you think you could help us? Because listeners will have heard a lot about the Food System Summit. They'll have known it's been going on, but it's such a broad issue. It can be difficult for people to get their arms around what were the issues at stake and what came out of it. Would you mind just giving us, I know it's difficult to do this, but it's just a really crisp sort of like what came out of the last few days? And I guess, was it what you hoped for? I mean, if I start with the first question, what was at stake, right? <laughs> what was at stake? Uh, really, uh, um, in addition to the fact that 
we we are not coming through on a number. In, in fact, let me put it differently. The very year we signed SDGs is the very year hunger started increasing. Hunger had hmm. been going down. Oh my gosh, is that right? Yes, that's the very year hunger started wait, going down. Wait, 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 Agnes, can you can you say that one more time? The very year we adopted the SDGs, which was 2015, is the very year that hunger started going up? It was not catalyzed by the fact that we signed. It is because it, it coincided with climate change that had been going on for some time. Climate change, yes. because I was Minister of Agriculture, I actually know when climate change started impacting farmers and farming systems, it was in 2012. But then the, that effect turned, resulted into increasing hunger. By 2015, it was already resulting into increasing hunger. So yes, the very year we signed SDGs is wow. the very year. The very year we signed that we will achieve zero hunger by 2030 is actually the very year hunger number started increasing. And now we are at 811 million people that are hungry. Wow. Oh, my God. It, it's a, it's a, it's the worst coincidence I've ever heard. Um, and but thank you for for being so sort of stark and clear about it. And, and to hear you talking about you know the impacts of climate change now, I think will will, will be very chilling uh, to, to our to to our listeners. What should happen next? What has come out of the uh, of the conference that, in a sense, um, sets the scene for uh, future actions? So it's it's interesting that you say that because. One of my biggest frustrations going to the summit, because that's how we've been, we've been kind of taught to think, was, oh, we, we know, I need to mobilize so much money going to the summit. I need the world to have so much money to change the world's problems. And then along the way, I, I thought that maybe mobilizing, turning the summit into a pledging moment was not going to be the most important thing. I thought that probably just helping every country understand that it needs to do business differently, helping every community understand how differently we need to do things was most important. So we set out to ensure that countries have new strategies. Yes, you will say, yeah, another strategy, but this is an extremely important part of the process. We now have national pathways, and national pathways mean that governments have been looking at how sectors can work together. You know, I again, I worked at country level as Minister of Agriculture. So, so this is the time that um, governments are getting sectors together from health to environment to trade uh, to, to, to nutrition and, and so many, and finance. You know, you have to worry about how you fund these things and then come up with a food systems approach. But in this whole food system thing, we've also showed governments that there's something we are calling the true cost of food. The true cost of food is when you spend so much money trying to deal with challenges of health, health-related diseases that you could have avoided by investing in food the right way, mm -hmm. trying to deal with the challenges of environment that you could have avoided if you dealt with environment the right way. So those hidden costs that we don't talk about have also come out in this meeting very, very clearly. So this meeting put forward national pathways from governments. It put forward what we are calling multi-stakeholder coalitions where people are coming together around uh, important challenges. So, for example, the Zero Hunger Coalition just mobilized 345 million, and it's just the beginning in the last two weeks alone, 345 million 
to deal with the and from private sector to deal with the challenge of, of zero hunger. But there are so many other coalitions, the, the coalition for school school feeding, which recognizes that there are 320 million people that have not been receiving school meals, kids. And then in addition to that, we have a scientific group that has been working on mobilizing the science of the summit, and they have put out seven priority areas that if used right, those priority areas could be part of driving um, improvements in our food system. And then, of course, there's this whole mobilization of people, which I find for me the most appealing, this whole mobilization of millions and millions of people, different communities, indigenous people, um, civil society, um, youth. You know, youth mobilized yesterday came with a declaration that has been signed by 100,000 youth. You know, so this level of mobilization has never happened before. That's super interesting. I have a question, although I don't know if colleagues, if you want, if you have something you want to come in. No, I just, I wondered if um, you mentioned there, and that's amazing to hear that whole range of different outcomes, just in terms of the national pathways, what would be included in a typical national pathway if there was a country that came forward with a food system summit? Very, very good question. So for me, first of all, the vision of coming through from a food systems perspective, not coming through on hunger, mm. not coming through on nutrition, but coming through on a food system. A food system is all the way from how we produce food, how we transport food, and how we get food on the table. These things have two major impacts. They impact our health, they impact our environment in the sense that, they are, of course, we are impacting climate change, but they also impact biodiversity. So being able to come at it from a food systems perspective and take responsibility for all these things before you get food on the table is extremely mm. important. So a pathway is a vision. Number two, it's a set of priorities. So once you put your vision together, what is the priorities that you're going to be driving for? So they have a set of priorities as well. And then they are welcome to look at what a whole set of, of um, solutions that the, the summit has mobilized because we had action tracks that we are mobilizing solutions. We had over 2,500 game-changing solutions across five areas that have been clustered in 252 solution clusters. These are available. These are available and the institutions behind them are available and the contacts of these institutions behind them are available so that if a country chooses, say, to do something hypothetically on sustainable livestock, they can go to sustainable livestock cluster, they know the institutions that are behind that and they know the telephone numbers of those people that they can reach to. So that is really the, the tangible thing. But the next, of course, they have to work on implementation. What is going, how will they turn this into plans that are investable, you know, investment programs, and then how will they monitor implementation? We have already secured at the highest level in the UN system that will be coming back every two years to review progress on these pathways. So governments are under, going to be under pressure to, to really sh demonstrate to their own constituencies what implementation will look like, knowing fully well that in two years they have to come back and report to the UN uh, the progress they are making. Great. Thank you. So there, there are two things that I think are so interesting that you've mentioned. Well, many, many things, but I'm just going to focus on two. W one is... Um, the, the fact that you've been able to harvest all of these solutions, cluster them, and organize them such that it is easy for anyone who wants to work on a specific um, area or specific factor to be able to have immediate and easy access to where is that information, who has done it before, where is the repository of knowledge and experience. 
But the other thing, Agnes, that I would love to hear you talk about is much more at the strategic, or let me say, rather, at the systemic level. What I think is fascinating is the thought of using food to really expand out or break out of the siloed thinking into let's use food to be the, I would say, the hammer of the concept of siloed thinking and planning. Did the Food Summit begin to invite leaders and practitioners into that much more complex but much more effective way of focusing on issues? You know, one of the things I hear a lot more and and, um, one of the the fears that comes back every so often is when people say, is this systemic enough? Is it going to be transformative enough? Is it, um, you know, we went back and forth. We came up with action tracks and then we came up with areas, areas of convergence and then we came up with coalitions and then we went back to areas of convergence. And, you know, the issue was people were saying, is this going to be a solution that cuts across, that addresses all these challenges we are trying to look at? Or is it going to get us into more silos? Because one thing that, yeah, one thing that you see people most concerned about, and, and, and really I feel proud that, that this has come out very strongly, is the whole idea of egos and logos. <laughs> you know, so, so in, in our, at, at the global level, egos and logos have become the way we do business. Everybody cares about the institution <laughs> and they don't care about the next person, the yep. next institution. Yep. But also at country level, I mean... <laughs> so well put, Agnes, so well put. Egos and logos, I love that. <laughs> yeah. so, so, I mean, if we don't break through that, uh, the, our ministries of, 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 of the, all these ministries that um, are responsible for the food sector are always fighting each other. I mean, I can't tell you how many wars I would have with the Minister of Trade, the Ministry of Trade, or how many wars you have you are having with the Ministry of Environment, or how you're trying to tell people. I, I, I always really, and this is my belief, I completely believe that every farmer can pay school fees for their children. The idea of universal school school fees is a failure of our systems. I completely believe that every farmer can can be able to pay mutual desante for their children, but but when they have nothing to pay, then we step in and pay for their health care. Why don't we just step back and equip people to be able to uh, to take control of their lives? Why don't we just step back and give them an opportunity to take charge of their lives? That opportunity is called better productivity. That opportunity, there's no farmer who has access to their land. I've seen this with my own eyes, a a title to their land that does not want to look after their land very well. The reason we have all this degradation that's happening in our our environment, most farmers don't, don't own the land they sit on. Farmers know that this is the biggest asset they have. But they, when they don't have control over it, they, they use it. It's like, you know, I'm out of here. They don't think about it much. So part of ensuring that we protect our environment it, it, it comes from empowering communities to help them understand that this land they use, because that's all the asset they have, is productive and can be productive if managed well. So there you fix one problem. You fix an environmental problem, number one. Number two, equip them to make it productive so that they can pay school fees for their children, so that they can pay me 12 the Sante for their children. 
Don't put them in a position where, you know, my kids can't go to school because you didn't put in place universal school education. So for me, these are all failures that we are entrenching in our system, but they're actually failures. We can't entrench a failed society. For me, again, the fact that we are taking control out of communities and people's hands and this control is being centralized somewhere in governments is to me a failure to be honest with you. Why can't I have control of my life? Why can't I pay for my children? Why can't I determine the future of my children based on what I earn for a living? Farmers are not earning a living income. The thing is, many people that work in food systems are not earning a living income, not even enough to put a health meal on the table. So so, so we need to actually think, um, you know, people will talk a lot about poverty. You speak passionately about poverty. We also have to think about wealth and the responsibilities of wealth within the context of that kind of poverty. But thank you for connecting to education, to trade, to nutrition, to finance, to health. Seeing things holistically is is so valuable. A, a final question, because I know we're running out of time. As you look towards the COP, COP26 coming up, as you look towards the biodiversity COP, what would you like to see um, coming from the Food System Summit into those meetings, into those negotiations? So I've done my part in terms yeah. of <laughs> in terms of ensuring that this and I'm going to use the word you people because you are part of the climate ch- issues. <laughs> You've been working on <laughs> yep. climate forever. So you people need to appreciate the place and role of food systems. Mm-hmm. Need to appreciate that food systems can be part of the solution to what we are facing. Mm-hmm. Right now they are part of the problem and there's no way we are going to achieve 1.5 degrees without fixing our food systems. So at least I need you to embrace this idea. I need COP26 to embrace this. I need COP15 to embrace this. Now, so it, for me, it's, it's really, it's, in terms of what we can take, we are taking already. We've brought a whole lot of society with a certain level of consciousness around the fact that we are degrading our environment, we are degrading our health, and we need to do something about it. I think what COP26 needs to do and COP15 needs to do, they need to appreciate and really engage the role of food mm-hmm. in our environment. I don't think it is appreciated enough. I don't think it's engaged enough. I think there are solutions. There are so many solutions. I was talking to the Green Climate Fund people and I was asking them how much of your resources are going to, towards supporting food systems so that they can be less of the problem. It's less than, the, even after they double, it will be less than 20%. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. you can't double to 20% when we are more than, we are becoming 30% of the problem. Why don't you just address the problem? <laughs> the problem is we are 30% of the problem and we need to be greener. We need to be healthier. Food systems need to be greener all the way and healthier. And that's you should be putting your money as well in, in that direction. So anyway, I need them to embrace food system, number one. Number two, COP15 has no choice at all. To be t- they don't need to be talking about nothing else but food systems. We are deteriorating our biodiversity so fast. 80% biodiversity loss comes from food systems. Who should you be talking to? Who should you be in bed with? Food systems. Nobody mm-hmm. else. That, that's, that's the way I look at it. They should be friends of food systems and 
I, I, I get so worried because I grew up in a village. I know the value of every plant. For us, every plant was medicine. For us, every plant was something else. I know the value of every plant. But also as a scientist, we depend so much on the genes of these plants and these animals and so many things. And we are losing all that. What is going to happen to the future of our children who could have used these genes for even things we don't know yet? So for me, it's, it's, it's unacceptable. It's not what we can do for them. It's them. They need to embrace this sector mm. because they need this sector to do the right thing. Mm. Wow. Wow, Agnes, what a pleasure to, uh, to have you be so eloquent about it. It's not just a food revolution. It's a thought revolution, right? It's how we think of this. Yeah. And how how we get to empower everyone. And I, I use that word actually cautiously because I don't really like how it has been misused. But I think you have been so, so eloquent about using food systems in the right way to uh, to allow everyone to take hold of their life and return dignity and prosperity, a shared prosperity to everyone. I think you have you have just put out such important, revolutionary, cognitively revolutionary uh, uh, thoughts here for us. Thank you so so much for that. It has really been a true pleasure uh, to listen to you and to be inspired by you, Agnes. And um, Agnes, we have a tradition here on the podcast that uh, as we close, which tr- sadly we must. We ask everyone who has been our uh, our distinguished guest um, whether you are more on the outrage side about how long it has taken us versus how um, optimistic you are that we're actually on the cusp of reimagining and re-understanding what this is all about. So we know that this is a spectrum and we think everyone has a, at least a little bit of both, but, um, but where do you put yourself? Or where would you put the summit? <laughs> the summit, that's a fair question. The summit is on the optimistic side, hmm. right? And that was the idea, put the summit on the optimistic side. And I've been very cautious to ensure that I don't guilt people into doing things. I help build conscious so that people do things they are very much aware of. But I'm on the outrage side. <laughs> I personally am on the outreach side because these are things that are solvable. We are living in a world where these problems can be solved. And I mm-hmm. just don't see enough leadership, enough will, and enough time. We, don't, we are losing too much time every day to do the right thing. So for me, on the outreach side, the summit is on the optimistic side. Okay, I like that. I like that balance. Dr. Agnes Kalibata, thank you so much for joining us today. I think our listeners will be uh, truly treated to listen to your thoughts. Thank you for having me and really great to talk to you. I mean, I admire what you did with climate change and just keep going. We are behind you. Thank you. We're behind you. You you are totally in the lead. Yes, you're totally in the lead here. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. 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 Hey, everybody. Welcome to the end of the show. Thank you so much to Dr. Agnes Kalibata and her team for making this episode possible. And thank you to everyone listening for listening. So this week was very busy. We had three episodes. The UNGA happened. Climate Week happened. The Food Systems Summit happened. And the Global Climate Strike happened. 
So before you sign off for the week, one more shout out to every Fridays for Future activist who went out today or met online to strike for system change. Their hashtag is hashtag uproot the system. Go look at all the strikes that happened in over 80 countries. It will truly move you. And then once you're done with that, go talk about it. Go talk about it with friends and talk about it with family. Ask them, you know, what are you doing to uproot the system? Get the conversation going and let us know how it goes. Okay, so that is your homework for the week. Ugh, homework. Nope. It's your mission. (laughs) Okay, so that's your mission for the weekend. Next week, another episode of Outrage and Optimism on Thursday. We'll see you then.